Now when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those that are on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or feed you, or thirsty, or give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and invite you in, or naked, and clothe you? And did, when did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? And answering, the king will say to them, Amen, I tell you, whatever you did to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left, Go away from me, you cursed ones, into the everlasting fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and in prison, and sick, and you did not clothe me or visit me. Then they too will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not care for you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not for one of these least, you did not do for me. Thank you for that dramatic reading. We had a uh, wonderful neighbor who eventually needed to um, sell the house, and uh, we didn't always have great neighbors, so... Uh, we prayed, Lord, uh, please bring good neighbors, not just for our sake, but for your sake. Um, because part of our conviction has been that the Lord would use us to impact people around us. And I hope that that's not a radical notion for you all. And uh, so lo and behold, two couples came, bought the house. And um, they're significantly younger than I am. And uh, their political persuasion is significantly different. Uh, in fact, uh, the day after the election, um, a couple of them came out. And it looked as if they were about to mourn the death of a loved one. Um, and uh, they knew that I'm a rabbi, so they asked me if I was going to pray, and I said, yes, you bet. I'm going to pray for the healing of this country, for unity, um, because I don't know about you all, but I'd had a belly full of the vitriol and garbage that went on during the election, and I, I knew that it was God's will for me not to dive in and throw my two cents worth and mix it up with everybody else, but to back off and, and endeavor to share a good word whenever the Lord provided an opportunity. So three nights ago, uh, we came back, I think it was from having brought um, Isaiah to, from Scouts, and one of them was there, and I called out to him, and uh, 
he was talking very excitedly because he and the other three uh, were freaked because of the executive order by our illustrious president to keep uh, refugees away and they uh, were bent out of shape. And so from a Jewish perspective, I certainly understand that. You may be aware of the fact that most major Jewish organizations came out very strongly against the executive order because it uh, presses significant uh, cultural and emotional buttons uh, for Jewish people because we had been refugees. And uh, in the 1930s and 40s, when Jewish people were desperately were desperate to flee uh, Europe, uh, most countries uh, did not allow them to come in, including the United States. So it's very touchy. Uh, I certainly understand the implication of and the reasons for the executive order. Uh, I was in no way, shape, or form interested in diving into the issues with them because I feel very strongly that my job has not been to set people straight with regards to political issues. My job has been and is to proclaim the good news of Yeshua to people. And I hope that you all can relate to that on, to one degree or another. This is not to suggest that we uh, muzzle ourselves, but we have to remember what is our prime directive. Our prime directive, folks, is to take what has been given to us and to share it with others. So this fellow was t uh, talking excitedly about how he didn't know what he wanted to do and he felt like he needed to go and stand at, at an intersection and protest, and he told me how he was sad that he wasn't able to join the Women's March and so on and so forth. And, and I, I just, uh, I listened as sagely as I knew how, and uh, I just explained to him that whatever happens has to be, has, uh, requires long-haul perspective. And that's true in general terms for any of us in any sphere. And I said to him, you know, you really need to have some basic faith. And that uh, caused him to, to step back. He said, I'm not interested in religion. I said to him, well, I said to him, everybody has faith, including the atheists. They also have faith because they're convinced that their perspective is absolutely correct, and that's based on faith. And so we had some more discussion, oddly enough, and I'll just throw this out. Oddly enough, through the discussion, he said, uh, is that how the Republicans felt for the last eight years? <laughs> and uh, again, I very sagely nodded and said, yes. You know, this was definitely what I would call a presentation of the good news 
that, for example, we find a book of Acts where anything and everything led to the resurrection of Yeshua. We're not there yet. Uh, I pray for those guys. But as far as I was concerned, this was, in essence, doing what the Lord expects us to do, and that is to give a cup of cold water to people. We certainly cannot fix the world. We cannot fix people's reality. And a major issue for us is our need to understand what is and what is not our current assignment in any and every situation. Otherwise, it would go plumishugi, er. <laughs> so the Word of God tells us to be instant in season and out of season. And we look at the challenge that the Word of God gives us, and we often are somewhat dubious because our attitude is, well, God, excuse me, I'm busy, life is difficult, life is stressful, I'm having a hard time. Um, my giving somebody a, cold, a cup of cold water is going to have to wait. And by the way, uh, we'll, I'm sure we're going to talk about this at the uh, town hall meeting about the wonderful opportunity for our folks to share a lot more than a cup of cold water with a bunch of folks who are homeless today at the uh, um, family family promise thank you so in any event part of what I keep coming back to is we've been going through a series on discipleship is a simple statement that Yeshua makes in the Sermon on the Mount in which he says, Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And we look at that and we think that Yeshua's words are backwards. No, God, um, I'm going to seek first of all the things that I need, and then if I have opportunity, I'll seek your kingdom and your righteousness. And since the Lord is somewhat narrow-minded, he keeps coming back to us by saying, no, seek first the kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be added. So we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple of Yeshua. The Hebrew word, of course, Talmid, is not just one who learns, but one who follows the rabbi and observes the model that the rabbi gives and endeavors to emulate them and then over a period of time learns to make other disciples um, who will learn the same and receive the same instruction that they did. Um, that's what Yeshua said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in name, the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. In other words, the degree to which we learn to follow Yeshua is the degree to which we'll be able to impact, impart that to other people. We also see that in Second Timothy 2, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. 
this is part of life. You know, when you think about it, it's, it's what we do when we are parents. We transmit life and we transmit instruction to our children. And the Word of God tells us to do likewise with people spiritually. That's what it means to be a disciple of Yeshua. And a couple of thoughts on that, negatively and positively. Um, a disciple of Yeshua is not someone who bails because life gets complicated and they don't have the consumer comfort that they would like. That's not discipleship, folks. That's consumerism. Positively, as we have seen over the last few weeks, being a disciple of Yeshua requires a radical commitment. It's not like going to Baskin Robbins and saying, mm, let's see, Rocky Road, yeah, that's pretty good, and then try another, another type of ice cream. No. Discipleship means wholehearted embrace of the call that Yeshua gives us to follow him. And it is counterintuitive. It goes against the grain of society around us. And to some extent, it goes against the grain of folks who call themselves believers in Yeshua. And so we need to be able to come to the Word of God and see what the Word of God tells us about what it means to follow Yeshua. A lot more than just being a believer in a sense of affirming the truth of the Word of God, but then learning to live it. So here in, in this section, we see that uh, here and also in chapter 24, that Yeshua is speaking about the end times. What will it, be, what will it look like at the end, of, at the end of days? And of course, we of the inquiring minds want to know precisely all the events. However, when you read these chapters, you see that the focus is not on the specific details, but the focus is on the theme again and again and again and again. That is simply, if you know that the master, the boss is coming, you're not going to be messing around and ignoring the commission that he's given you. Rather, you're going to be busy knowing that he's coming. And this is part of what he is saying. Yeshua here is speaking about his coming. The Son of Man comes in glory and all his angels with him. And he's going to sit on the throne and judge. We see some of that, for example, in Revelation chapter 20 when everybody will be judged. But Yeshua here is describing himself as coming in glory, not as Joanne mentioned earlier uh, and, and, and Scott mentioned earlier, Yeshua coming in great humility, but in this time he will come with great glory. And I imagine if you're like me, you've heard this and read it again and again and again. And frankly, it flies over us at Mach 15. Why? Because 
we can't really connect to the notion that the Lord is coming and He is going to come in great glory and He is going to bring about judgment, meaning He is going to set things in order. We live in a Meshuggi world and it gets Meshuggi-er. I don't know about you, but the last several years have just seemed like the world has been spinning out of control. And it seems that difficulties and and terrorism not just overseas but also here seems to become the norm to where we no longer bat an eye uh, an eyelash when we hear someone coming to a mall and shooting people up so it's hard under those conditions to be able to see the reality of the Lord coming and so for us we get consumed with life as it is right now. And we tend to ignore the commission that God gives us. We are engaged in our life to some extent not aware of the fact that God's camera is panning throughout this whole world. Second Chronicles 16.9 The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In other words, at any given time, when you get up in the morning and you go to bed at night, you have to realize that God's cameras have been observing what you have been doing and here's the scary part. Even what you've been thinking throughout the day. I, I think all of us would be mortified if our words and our thoughts were displayed um, for everybody to see, but God knows all of that. And part of his expectation is to see that as we go from day to day to day, that we make a commitment to put our nose towards him and take the baby steps he shows us and endeavor to put him first and accomplish what it is he's put for us to do. It's helpful for us to come back again to these kinds of passages that speak about the Lord coming to judge. Because he's not going to judge the bad people, you know, the sinners with a capital S. He is also going to be evaluating us and requiring an accounting from us as well. We see that in a number of places. So this is the scenario we see here. And in this particular case, he is going to he's going to separate uh, peoples. Uh, the word for nations, uh, as is translated into Hebrew, means goyim or ethne in Greek, um, referring to Gentiles, but not necessarily so. And he's going to separate sheep from the goats. Now, um, why sheep from the goats? Well. Um, I'm sure if you talk to expert, of which I am not, um, sometimes the sheep and goats mix together, as as we saw in Exodus chapter 12. You'll take the sheep or the goats, they're mixed together, and sometimes you need to separate them. So he's sitting and, and he is making evaluation, and he looks to a bunch and says, you guys come because you are blessed by my Father. 
and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now, what does that mean? You know, and often when we read what Yeshua says, we ignore the fact that he comes from a Torah-observant background, folks. So when he talks about somebody being blessed or somebody being cursed, what do you think he has in mind? Well, what came to my mind was the scenario in Deuteronomy chapter 27, 28, where Israel was commanded that when you come into the land, half of you will stand near Mount Gerizim, the other will stand near Mount Ebal, and the Levites are going to be reciting a bunch of blessings and curses. Uh, you will be cursed if you um, get on the light rail. You will be cursed when you get in your car. You will be cursed when you sit down to watch the Broncos, etc., etc. And everybody would say, Amen, may it be so. And then uh, another bunch would say, you will be blessed when you're sitting down to eat your Thanksgiving meal or when you are sitting to enjoy your Seder meal and everybody would say, may it be so, amen. What does that have to do with what Yeshua is saying about this is part of the renewal of the covenant in Deuteronomy 27, 28. So when Yeshua is speaking about people being blessed or people being cursed, that's part of the background that is in his thinking. It didn't come out of a vacuum. And so he, he is saying to these people, you will be blessed. What does that mean? Well, um, this is obviously something that will take place in the future and referring to eternal life. And we forget what that means because all these things seem to fly over us. We have no clue what that's going to look like. But here's a, a quotation from, from Paul that helps me to get my arms around it to some extent. No eye has seen or ear heard, nor no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. What does that mean? It means that anything and everything having to do with eternal life and life after death we have absolutely no clue other than to say, wow, it's wonderful, it's awesome, it's tremendous, and it means nothing to me until the Spirit of God opens our eyes and says, let me give you a little clue here. And we step back and say, wow, Lord, that's awesome. I sure am looking forward to that. And that's what the Lord is saying will take place for the folks on the right and then he gives the explanation. I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Why so many repetitions? Remember in scripture, anytime you have a thought or an idea or a word, that is repeated over and over and over again, it is designed to be emphatic, designed to capture your attention. What's the point here? What the Lord is saying here is these folks are committed, have been committed 
to taking actions that somehow directly impacted him. The response of the righteous is, Lord, when did we see you hunger and feed you, etc., etc., etc.? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did to at least one of these, to one of these least brothers of mine, you did for me. Now think about these folks who are called righteous. And by the way, here righteous obviously has to do with right living, righteous actions. These folks are looking at, at the judge and say, I don't know, we, 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 just, we just did what we were told. You know, it's like you, you sometimes compliment somebody and their attitude is, well, I'm just doing my job. This is just my job, you know, i.e., uh, no big deal. And that's kind of the impression you get from what these folks are saying here in their response to the judge. We did what we were told. Uh, we were faithful because that's what we're supposed to do. Paul puts it this way. It is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now, if you break it down, you look at yourself and, or myself, what that means simply is that when God gives us a job, he expects us to follow through with it. And not to say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not feeling well, this is too hard. Something else has come along and, and it's drawing my attention. No. When God gives us a commission, the only thing we can do is to be faithful. And that's what these folks are saying. We're just doing what we've been told to do. Now, the big question here, of course, is who is referred to by the least of these brothers? And you have several different ideas here, and I'll just barrel through them. In, in our community, the most common one is that this is referring to Israel and Jewish people. That the Lord is saying to the Gentile nations, how did you treat my people Israel? Amen. Were you good, bad, or ugly? And of course, according to Genesis chapter 12, that's part of reality. Uh, part of the commitment that God made to Abraham was, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And that's something we see played out throughout Scripture, where people went up against Israel, they experienced God's judgment. Even when God allowed them to do that as a form of discipline for the nation of Israel, when they overdid it, they still experienced God's judgment. So some of that is quite likely. Remember that the word brothers uh, in the first century was a word that was used when speaking to fellow Jews. You know, for, for example, when Peter stands up and he addresses the, the pilgrims uh, on the day of Shavuot, the day of Pentecost, he says to them, brothers. And when Paul gets up in the synagogue, likewise, so that's one likely scenario. However, there's more. Remember that in Scripture, God is very particular about how people treat the poor. 
In fact, there's one scripture that has always jumped out at me. This is in Exodus chapter 22, where the Lord says to Israel, treat the poor and the alien and the orphan kindly, because remember that you were in a tough spot when you were in Egypt. And if you oppress them and they cry out to me and I hear, I'm going to come after you and I'm going to kill you. Okay, we get it. God's expectation is that for his people, uh, that his people should take care and be kind to those who are deprived. And this is something we know historically, that a society that treats the underdog well has God's smile upon it. So that has become the very popular uh, interpretation for this, especially among the uh, folks who are inclined towards social justice. But we also need to remember that the word brothers is the common word that's used to refer to fellow believers. In the book of Acts, brothers is the word that is used 40 times to speak about fellow believers. So is the Lord saying that part of the judgment is that he is going to look at people and see how they treated his people who are his followers? And what comes to mind is Yeshua's words to Saul when, when he knocked Saul off the donkey and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? In other words, when you went after the believers in Jerusalem and other places, you were directly going after me. So that's quite likely that that's another part of the picture here. And do we have to come down in favor of one versus the other? No, I don't believe so. Then the judge will look to those on his left and say, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Wow! Now think about the implications of that. Can he be referring to nations being cursed and sent into hell? The answer is no, because God's judgment on, on nations comes in different forms, but whether a person goes into, into heaven or hell is an individual matter between that person and God. God will not take an entire nation, all millions of people, and shove them into hell. So what the Lord is saying here as far as the judgment, obviously uh, the first order of business is that he's referring to how people treat other folks, primarily his disciples. But why his disciples? Think about it. In Matthew chapter 10, Yeshua sent out his disciples and gave them the commission to go to all kinds of towns and villages 
and share the good news of Yeshua with people. And he made it very clear that the people who would listen to them and pay attention to the message would receive a blessing from God. So I believe that the main emphasis when Yeshua is speaking about those who are kind to the least of these is referring to the disciples who are traveling and who are sharing the good news of Yeshua. Why? Because the only sin that sends a person to hell is the absolute rejection of the good news of Yeshua. When they've heard it and they understand it, they say, I don't want any part of it. So anything else really doesn't fit the picture. However, having said that, on one hand, on the other hand, God's judgment does come on us when we don't respond properly to his people. We know that from history that nations that attacked the people of Israel experienced God's judgment. And that's true of any country throughout history. We also know that when people are indifferent to people in need, they betray a basic lack of compassion and they indicate that they don't understand the heart of God who is the God of mercy and compassion. Amen. So part of the picture is that when someone has no interest in being generous, they're indicating that they really do not belong to Yeshua because a basic reality for him is generosity of heart, openness. And someone who says, I don't want to give anything to anybody, indicates that they are not his and that what is appropriate for them is an eternity without God. And also, somebody who is abusive to fellow believers, and I'm using the word very carefully because these days and age, this day and age, the word abusive is used for anything such as you stepped on my toe and you abused me. Um, John, in the first letter, puts it this way. Anybody who hates his brother is worthy of death, God's judgment. So part of the picture is that hating God's people Jew or Gentile who are part of the body of Messiah indicates also that a person doesn't know and doesn't understand the heart of God. So how, how does all that work? Well, I'm glad you asked. We know who is the righteous judge. And we are simply called to be faithful in the commission that's been given to us. And that is to be available 
to give a cup of cold water to those around us. Practically, as in a cup of cold water or financially, but first and foremost to be available to share the heart of God with the individuals around us. And exactly how that plays out, we don't have all the answers. We like to think that if I meet somebody and I sit down and talk to them, I'll be able to rattle through a simple good news presentation, boom, 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 and the person will say, yes, this is awesome, great, I'm accepting Yeshua, end of story. No. Our challenge of faith is to learn to give from what the Lord has given us, and be available to be his hands and his feet in the world that is broken, is hurting, is messed up. And we have the pearl of great price. Not that our lives are perfect, but he pours his goodness into us. And as we receive his goodness, it has to overflow and impact other people. And that's what he's called us to do. Let's pray. Lord, we stand before you. We're humbled because we realize our limitations and our sins and how far we fall short of your standards. We thank you, Lord God for your boundless mercy. Lord, you know us intimately and you love us. And yet we thank you for your word that challenges us, that presses us, stretches us beyond our comfort zone. Lord God, to engage, Lord, those around us to be a friend of sinners, Lord, like you were. And be available to to be your hands and feet to touch others. And Lord God, we simply say that Hineni, here we are, Lord. We are your disciples, your children. We pray, Lord God, that your spirit would energize us and give us the necessary discernment and understanding, Lord, what that looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. Speak to us, Lord God. Give us clear discernment. Give us the faith that we need that as we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that all these things will be added to us. Thank you, Lord God, for your word to each of us. We bless you in the name of Yeshua. Amen.